This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. I just want to sit with that song for a moment. Because the truth is that nothing that we do uh, is before anything that God has already done. Right? Everything that we do, everything we learn about is in response to who God is, what God has done in our lives. Maria said, while we were still far from God, Jesus gave his life for us. And so our response as we come in here today is to love one another deeply and to, to, to experience God in, in all that he has for us, to learn about what it means to follow him and then to respond to his love with our love with our action, with every part of who we are. My name is Kevin, and I've been with you the last number of weeks. Uh, For those of you who have enjoyed that, I have enjoyed being with you. For those of you who are sick of me at this point, Ron will be back next week preaching. So uh, I hope you're laughing because you think, no, no, we love having you here, Kevin. This is a great gift to us. Well, uh, you get me today, so enjoy it. We, uh, we've been talking about that thing that we just don't talk about in church that much, that, that thing that makes us squirm a little bit in our seats, that thing that, that feels sometimes like meddling because it hits very close to who we are. We've been talking about money. Uh, but really, money is uh, just uh, the thing that we are speaking into today. The heart that we're speaking into is uh, God's heart for us to have freedom to experience the fullness of life that he created us to live, uh, and all that that would mean. You see, the Bible talks about us experiencing freedom in God, freedom in Christ. Throughout Scripture, we see God's people in slavery, and then he releases them into freedom. But there are times when they then turned back into slavery, and God said, no, I don't want that for you. I want freedom for your life. And I said the first week that we were together that one of uh, the things that I believe puts us in slavery more than anything else is money. And so we spent three weeks talking about money because God does not want any of us to live in slavery. He wants freedom for our lives. Uh, The first week we talked about contentment. Remember, Uh, how much dog is enough dog for me? That was my big question. That was my takeaway for the day. And and that's what I was referring to in that. Uh, That is my dog down below. That's Chloe. and that's, that's my neighbor's dog, Marley, up above. It's a, a Great Dane, and that's my daughter. That is not a dog. That is a human, uh, and she is very cute. Uh, yeah, uh, how much dog is enough dog? I was content with Chloe, and then I saw Marley, and uh, I began to ask myself, uh, how much dog can one man truly have? So that was week one, contentment. And, and the idea behind that, the heart behind that, is that we would, we would know God in such a way Uh, that we find our identity, ourselves, fully in God, uh, fully in all that he has for us. And so we wouldn't be constantly striving for more and more and more stuff, because really the root of all that wanting to accumulate more and more and more stuff is a lack of contentment, a lack of knowing who we are in God, who he created us to be, and then a desire to try to fill that space with more stuff. Uh, and I've, I gave myself a takeaway that week. I said, you know what? Um, church is not about what I wear, or what I come in with. So I decided I would wear the same shirt for the next three weeks while I preach. And this is that shirt. Um, I like this shirt. It's become one of my new favorite shirts because I've gotten to wear it every week with you fine people. Uh, but that was, that was my takeaway to cement that truth in my life. That, 
that I can be content with what I have. We don't need more stuff. Remember, contentment then led us into generosity. Unless we have a heart of contentment, uh, we cannot be generous people. There was that quote, uh, if we cannot give our possessions away, they're not really our possessions. We are their possession. And so I invited you last week, actually, to join me in cementing that truth in your life by uh, taking off your shoes and just leaving them here. And these, these are your shoes. We collected somewhere around 298 pairs of shoes and sandals to give away, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so fun. Uh, and it doesn't smell that bad, surprisingly. Um, I put my shoes way over there. Um, It's just a great gift. There will be 300 people who have a pair of shoes because you gave yours away. Uh, But the reality is that God actually could produce 300 pairs of shoes without us, right? The reason why we did this last week was not so much that God needs our shoes, but that we need to cement the reality that we can be generous people. Uh, And and so giving our shoes away was a way to cement that in our lives. I I guarantee those of you who gave your shoes away got up this morning and went to put on your shoes and remembered that last week you gave your shoes away in a sermon about generosity, right? It it is for us. Yes, it blesses other people, but God wants to bless us. God wants to meet us in the giving of our stuff. Remember, everything we do is in response to what he has already done for us. this week we're going to be talking about trust, and I need, uh, I need a volunteer. I need someone to come up here with me. Uh, you can either raise your hand or just walk up here. Sure. All right. Come on up. Don't be scared. Uh, I'll only make you uh, say your name to everybody. I'm Brian Miller. Go ahead. You can speak into Brian that. Miller. Yeah, sure. This is Brian. This is my good buddy, Brian. Yeah, give it up for Brian. Uh, Brian, this... Uh, this is a stool. Have you seen these before? Yeah. This is a stool, right? It's got, it's got a top, and it's got four legs on it. Uh, would you agree that this is a stool? It's a stool. Uh, and a stool is made for sitting on, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, now, if I, I asked you, do you trust the stool, wh- what would you say? Yes. Okay. So, will you sit on the stool? Yes. Okay, go ahead and sit on the stool. Sit on the stool. There you go. Look at that. It held him up. <laughs> That's exciting. Now, what if Brian had said, yeah, I trust the stool. It has four legs. It's beautiful light wood, and it's got a a top on it for for me to sit on. Yeah, I trust the stool. And then I said, Brian, will you sit on the stool? And Brian said, no. No, I won't sit on that stool. What what if it doesn't hold me? You know, what what then? I would fall over. I would look silly in front of everybody. Uh, We would say that Brian actually did not trust the stool, right? It's only when he sits on the stool that we know that he actually trusts the stool. Thank you, Brian. Well done. Give it up. Brian trusts the stool, and he puts his trust in action. Today I want to talk about trusting God with our money. Uh, But it's one thing to say we trust God with our money, right? Of course I trust God. I trust God with everything. My family, my friends, my job. Uh, my, my vacation, my house, my, my, yeah, my money. I trust God with everything. It's one thing to say that. But more than really anything else, money is the place where we can put that into action. God says, do you really trust me with your money? Put your money where your mouth is. Uh, put it into action. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But I have two questions. These are our main questions uh, for the morning, and then I'm going to pray for us. The first question, can I trust God? Can I trust God? And the second question, can God trust me? Let's pray 
and dive in. Lord, would you keep us uh, open to the things that you would speak to us? Uh, would you prepare us to, uh, to know you and experience you in a very real way? Uh, would you make us keenly aware of your presence in this community? And Lord, the things that we learn, would you, would you cement them in our lives so that we would not just hear them one day uh, and say, yes, I agree, that's a good idea, that's a good principle, but would you cement them in our lives that they may truly transform us as we follow you? Lord, we, uh, we know and we thank you that anything we do is in response to what you have already done. Would you make us changed people as we leave this place? Because if we don't experience you and don't experience change, this is all just a big waste of time. But we know that you will meet us. You will transform us, and we thank you in advance. Amen. Amen. Uh, we've been in the book of Luke the last number of weeks. Remember, in Luke chapter 19, last week, we talked about Zacchaeus. He was a, a short guy uh, with a lot of money. He was a tax collector, and Jesus was walking towards him, uh, and he climbed up a tree to see Jesus because he did not have a stool that he trusted. And so he climbed uh, up a tree, and he has this encounter with Jesus, this very real encounter, uh, where they're face-to-face, and, and they talk, they interact. It's a, it's a very a visceral experience, him and Jesus together, and it transformed his life. It changed him. Uh, it made him into a different kind of person. We talked last week about the reality that when we meet God, it should transform our lives because this is the living God that we're talking about. Uh, pay no attention to the words on the screen. That's coming up later. You can pay attention to me for now. Uh, and what did he do? It was not about money per se, but he gave away half of what he owned. And then he said, I'll pay back four times to anyone I've cheated. And remember, he had cheated quite a few people. Uh, and so this experience with Jesus transformed his life, transformed everything about him, and he put it into practice with his money, because for him, money was deeply, deeply spiritual. Uh, it was not just this extra thing outside of his spirituality. It was connected to his spirituality. And then Jesus leaves Zacchaeus, and he heads toward Jerusalem, and that's where uh, this scripture comes up, Luke chapter 19, verse 37. It says a little something like this. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. And they said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd uh, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, they were... uh, they knew that they were going into a province that the Romans had leadership over. And so to say that Jesus is king would mean that the Roman ruler was not the king of that area, and it would cause revolt, it would cause dissonance, it would cause a lot of trouble for the Jewish people. So they said, make them stop, make them stop calling you the king. And what does Jesus say? He says, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Picture this scene with me. Jesus walking into Jerusalem. Crowds of people around him. They're worshiping and they're praising him. Uh, We actually celebrate that today. Today is called Palm Sunday. It it leads us into this week where we expect and experience uh, Easter, the fullness of uh, God's love for us. And so Jesus is going down or going into Jerusalem, and they're putting palm branches below him, and they're shouting, and they're, they're saying things. Other areas in the Bible say they were praising him, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is like a declaration of praise. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus says, if these people don't praise me, even the rocks will cry out. 
See, this is the apex of, uh, of creation. Jesus is God in the flesh, and, and all of creation is longing to worship him. And at the same time as Jesus walks into Jerusalem, he knows that these same people who are shouting, praise you, bless you, will be shouting, crucify him, kill him, not a week later, right? And so it's this real juxtaposition of these people praising God with everything they have, but he knows what's going to happen. He knows they'll be shouting, crucify him, kill him. He's not our God. He's not our Savior. He's not our King. He knows as he walks into Jerusalem that he will be beaten within an inch of his life. He knows that he will have nails hammered into his wrists and into his ankles, and he will be crucified on a cross And he knows that even though this is going to happen, God has a plan to redeem humanity through him. God has a plan to draw all people back to himself through Jesus. And so what does he do? He walks into Jerusalem knowing the ultimate end, that he will be crucified, that God will raise him from the dead, and we will celebrate that coming up this week. Why does he do it? Because he trusts God. And he shows his trust by actually walking into Jerusalem. He could have turned away. He could have walked a different direction. He's God. He could have done anything. He could have flown away. That would have been a scene, right? Jesus just takes off. But he didn't. He walked into Jerusalem. As we enter into this week, uh, we have uh, a great opportunity to remember God's love for us. And Jesus trusts in God. The example that Jesus gives of trusting God with everything, even his very life. I will say, uh, bring your friends next week. It's going to be a powerful time of experiencing the full love of God. It's a baptism service next week. If you want to get baptized, mark it down in the lobby. I'll call you this week. It would be such a magical and a powerful experience for you to be baptized on the day that we celebrate Jesus raising from the dead. So, uh, so mark that down. Jesus walks into Jerusalem, and, and he walks into the temple. And the temple is uh, the place where uh, the people believed that God's presence dwelt in, in a unique way. And he goes in there, and he starts flipping over tables, because the people who are in charge of the money are abusing the money, abusing God's house, and he gets really angry, and he flips over the tables, and then he walks out, and that's the end of the scene for that evening. And then a few days later, he walks back into the temple in Luke chapter 21, and he's watching people's financial interactions. Uh, and, And look at what he says in Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up. He saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Remember, this is taking place during uh, a very holy time in the Jewish calendar. It was the the Feast of Passover. It was this feast where the people would, would come into Jerusalem And they would have this huge dinner, this huge feast, remembering God. So thousands of people would be coming into this area, and they'd come to the temple. And the the temple was always a fairly wealthy place. Lots of people brought lots of money to the temple. But especially on uh, holy days like this, especially on times of feast, money was just pouring into the temple. All the rich people came, and they were dropping in all of this money to God. 
So we have that, and then we have this widow. Widows had very little social standing. They had very little money. They had very little way to make income. They were dependent on their kids and on the church, uh, on other siblings, to basically just uh, survive. But having very little, this woman gives two small coins, uh, probably the smallest coins in uh, uh, circulation at this time. And Jesus praises her. He doesn't praise the rich people. He praises her because they were giving out of their abundance, but she was giving all that she had. She trusted God enough to give it all to him. Did God need her money? No. What are two coins going to do in the grand scheme of things? But, but her heart was represented in the way that she gave her money. Does God need our money? No, he's God. But our heart is exposed in the way that we use and give our money. And as I was reading this, I wondered, why does the author set up the book of Luke this way? Was it an accident? Did he just kind of throw different random things in here? I mean, we have Zacchaeus who has this encounter with God, and it changes his life. It makes him uh, exceptionally generous. And then we have Jesus who uh, walks into Jerusalem knowing that he'll be crucified, And then we have this interaction where he's turning over money changers' tables because they're not using money correctly. And then he walks back in and we have this widow. Why does the author line the story up this way? Whenever you read the Bible, we have to be asking those types of questions. Are these stories linked somehow? What do Zacchaeus, Jesus, and the widow have in common? They all trusted God and they acted based on their trust. So what does it look like to trust God with money the way that this widow did, the way that Zacchaeus did? What does it look like to trust God with our lives the way that Jesus does? Well, uh, there are a number of places in the Bible that talk about what it means to trust God with our money. One is uh, the book of Malachi. Malachi is an interesting book because it's the last book of the Old Testament, uh, there, remember, the Bible split up into two, the Older Testament and the Newer Testament. Uh, the Newer Testament starts with the stories of Jesus' life, and the Older Testament is before Jesus' life. And it's the last book of the Older Testament. Uh, this book takes place about 100 years after God's people have come out of slavery yet again. They were ruled by the Babylonians this time, uh, and they're out now. They've gone from being a great nation, a wealthy nation, a prosperous nation, down to about 150,000 people a very small group, maybe three times the size of Petaluma, for the whole nation. Uh, They're in an economic downturn. Their crops are failing. There's a drought. There's pestilence. Bugs are coming, and they're eating all their crops. The people don't know what to do, and worst of all, they feel like they're not experiencing God. They're asking questions like, where has God gone? The reality is they've turned away from God, uh, but they didn't see it in the beginning. And then in Malachi chapter 3, they begin to realize, maybe God hasn't turned away from us. Maybe we've turned away from, from God And in Malachi 3, verse 7, they have this uh, conversation with God. And it goes something like this. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees, and you have not kept them. This is God talking to the people. God says, return to me, and I will return to you. The people ask, how should we return to you? And God responds, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? in tithes and in offerings. 
You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delight in the land, says the Lord Almighty. That's intense. And that is a strong thing for God to say to a people, right? They say, we want to come back to you. We want to turn back to you. Uh, and his response is, you have robbed me. He talks about two things. He talks about tithes, and he talks about offerings. And I want to talk about offerings first. Uh, offerings are something that we give to God out of our abundance, out of our overflow, from the extra, from the blessings that he has given to us. Not that long ago, I was preaching at a little church out in the Midwest, and um, when I got done preaching, the pastor came up, and he said, you know, we want to take an offering up for Kevin, uh, just to bless him and, and to bless Maria. And they were a small church, but they were a generous church, and they gave multiple hundreds of dollars to us. And as Maria and I left, we thought, man, this is an extra gift that God has given to us. What can we do to bless God's people? And a need came up, and so we just took that money, and we just gave it straight to this other person who needed it far more than we did. That's an offering. It's, it's out of the abundance, out of the extra. God unexpectedly gave to us. And so our response was to bless God and bless God's people by giving it out. Last week when you gave your shoes, that was an offering. Uh, I, I don't see any barefoot people today, so I'm guessing that was not your only pair of shoes, right? Uh, it was out of our abundance that we gave our shoes, right? God has blessed us with multiple— Does someone not have shoes on? Is that what I'm, I'm hearing? Loud? He's got socks on. He's okay. He's got shoes down there. Uh, man, if you could see what I see when you guys start whispering, it is so fun. So fun. Um, you gave your shoes as an extra gift. I know I have multiple pairs of shoes, and so I gave them as an extra offering. And people will be blessed because we experienced God's blessing and then gave that out. That is offerings. And then he talks about tithes, and tithes are the first 10% of our income. God said that the people were robbing him because they weren't giving the first 10% back to him. Reminds me of a story, and I believe this is a true story. A preacher, uh, he got up on a Sunday morning, and he went to his congregation, and, and he had the task of telling them that they had been robbed. Uh, and so he got up, and he said to the people, you know, we were robbed last Sunday. Someone stole from our church. Someone stole from God's house. And the people were indignant. They were enraged. They said, who would do such a thing? Who would rob a church? And he said, you know, we have good news. We know who it was who did it. And they said, bring the person up on stage. Make them confess. Make them give the money back or kick them out. That's no way for God's people to behave. And the pastor looked at them and he said, you are robbing God because you are not bringing him your full tithe and your full offering. And the people became very gracious at that point. But God says, you want to turn back to me? Stop robbing me. And there's a, a significance in numbers, actually. Uh, tithe equals 10%, and that number actually means something in the Bible. But to give you some context for it, numbers are not generally just numeric. 
uh, they mean a bigger truth, a bigger reality. So like the number seven is the number of completion in the Bible, of wholeness. When you see the number seven, oftentimes it speaks to a, a, a full cycle, a whole thing happening. Uh, the number 40, uh, and this is really technical, the number 40 means a really long time. So uh, track with me, I know, it's deep. Uh, but like when God's people were in the wilderness for 40 years, it represented a really, really long time, a lifetime for them to be in the wilderness, searching for the land that God had provided for them. Or when Jesus was without food and water for 40 days, that was a really long time. Uh, and the number 10 is usually a test. It usually has to do with a test in the Bible. Uh, in the book of Daniel, uh, this guy Daniel is in captivity. He's in slavery. And uh, he says, I want to eat what God has promised and provided for me to eat, not what this king is giving me. So test me for 10 days. Let me eat the food that God has given me and see how I look at the end. Um, in Egypt, God tests the Egyptian by bringing them 10 plagues. He says, let my people go, and then he tests them. Will they believe God? Will they trust God? And he brings 10 plagues on them. When they get out of slavery, there's the, the Ten Commandments. Moses gives the big ten, right? The top ten list of God's all time. Uh, the Ten Commandments. It's ten rules uh, that would test the people. Do you believe in God? If you do, you will keep these ten commands. In the same way, the tithe is a test. Do you trust me with your money? Do you trust me with your whole life? If you do, you will give 10%. The number 10 is a test. So he is testing us. And there are two things that are being tested right here. Can we trust God to take care of us if we're faithful to give back to him? That's one of the tests. And the second one is, uh, can God trust us with the resources he wants to give to us? Because God wants to pour out blessings on your life, but he has to know if he can trust you. Now, if you're new to new life or if you're new to uh, church in general and God, this might not make a lot of sense to you, right? You take 100% of your income and you give away 10%, then you only have 90%. That's just not good money management. Uh, but God actually says, test me and see if I won't provide. Remember, these people's crops were failing. Um, locusts and other animals were eating their crops. Uh, they were in a drought. They had no money. They had shrunk down to next to nothing. It was not a good economic time. But look what happens in verse 10, what God says to them. He says, bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. God says, if you test me in this, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. He says, test me in this and see if I'm not faithful. We need to know something to start off. Uh, God's love for us is unconditional. It, it is uh, deeper than any ocean, uh, wider than the, the expanses of space. God's love for us is unconditional. If you even saw a glimpse of how much God loved you, it would floor you. You would be speechless. I was worshiping in the back of the room, and, and we were singing about God's love that he expressed on the cross. And, and in that moment, I just got a glimpse, just a glimpse of God's love, and it floored me. I was on my knees, and I, was, uh, I had tears coming to my eyes uh, because I was experiencing 
just a bit of God's powerful love. So God's love is unconditional, but God's blessings are conditional. And they're based on our obedience before we can receive the blessing. God's love is unconditional, but God's blessing is conditional. The Bible's pretty clear about that. Uh, If you do this, I will bless you. God says this over and over again. I will meet you. God does not bless things when we do not do them his way. You cannot murder someone and expect God to bless that murder. That is not what God does. Uh, If we do things apart from God's will, God's plan, he cannot bless it. Now, we might make it through life without experiencing God's blessing, but we will not have the fullness of life that he wants for us. That's why God says, test me by tithing so that I can pour out my blessings in such an amazing way that you won't know what to do with it. You will be blessed beyond compare. Now, I want to address the elephant in the room for a minute. I hope this isn't true, but if it is, I just want to speak into it. Some of you might be saying, I knew it. They're after our money. That's it. All this talk about the heart, all this talk about freedom, it's not really true. They just want our money. They just want our tithe. They just want us to give to the church so the church can can have more money. Friends, nothing can be farther from the truth. I do not want your money. I want your heart. God does not need your money. God needs your heart. But God knows that our money and our heart are deeply connected together. And so he says, show me your heart by what you do with your money. So, so if, you, if you think that the church is just after your money, please let that go. Please don't hear that. We're not after your money. We want you to experience a full life with Christ. But that means that you're going to have to let God have control of your money. You're going to have to trust God uh, and do what he asks you to do with your money. Uh, and a modest estimate says that there are 800 different scriptures that talk about money in the Bible. That's a modest estimate. I saw some people saying there were up to 1,500, but I, there's got to be some sort of middle ground in there. But somewhere in that range, God really cares about what we do with our money. He wants our hearts to be fully connected with him so that we can live in freedom. But that means being free from the love of money. Now, if you're here this morning and you already trust in God, you've given him uh, your tithe, you trust him with your finances, you give him the first 10%, then you know what I'm talking about. You know God's not after your money because you're experiencing the blessing of giving to him. Uh, There are a lot of places where I think God wants to grow my wife and I, which is a nice way of saying we have a lot to learn uh, and God wants to teach us. Uh, But one place where I think that we've kind of, we've got it figured out is in tithing. Uh, the first time, the first 10% of what we get, we just give to God. We give to the church. We bring it here, and we say, God, do with this money what you want to do. And as we've done that, two things have happened. Tithing has become an act of worship for us. Remember, worship encompasses our whole lives. Not just the songs we sing on a Sunday morning, but every part of who we are. Tithing has become an act of worship, and God has consistently met our needs. Sometimes it's through you. Sometimes you have met our needs. Sometimes it's through miracles, things we can't explain apart from God. God has just met our needs. Now, this doesn't mean that you're going to be rich. I just want to put this out there. Uh, We are not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. If you give 10%, God will give you back 150%. He may. He's God. I'll let him do what he wants to do. If he does, call me up. We can figure out what to do with all that money. Um, There's a lot more shoes to be bought, friends. It doesn't mean that you're going to be rich, but it means that God will bless you and God will provide for you. God will take care of you. It's God's promise. 
He does say, look, I will open up the storehouse and pour out so much blessing on you, you won't even know what to do with it. Do you want that kind of life? Do you want the so much blessing life? Do you want to be just uh, overflowing? You don't even know what to do with all the blessing that God has given to you. Trust him with your tithe. I want to give a general uh, spending principle um, to help cement this. Because remember, we're trying to cement these things in our lives each week. So it's not just a good idea that we hear, but it actually means something. Uh, a general spending principle would be something like this. When you get paid, the first 10% goes to God. Right off the top, done. The second 10%, you save. You put it into savings. The third, uh, the, or the, the last part of that, which would be 80%, if your math is uh, correct, like mine, uh, would be to pay off debt and to live off of. Imagine if we actually did that. It's not easy. It could mean no vacation, no new car, no new house. Uh, it, it could mean a lot of that stuff. But imagine if we did it. We would be generous to God, doing what God's called us to do with our money. We'd be giving back 10% to him. We'd be putting money in savings for our family to care for our future. And we'd be paying off debt. Can you imagine being debt-free? No house payment, no car payment, uh, no, no interest, just ballooning out of control. It would be a life of passion. It would be a life of purpose. It would be a life of significance if we trusted God with our money and did it his way. So can you trust God? The answer is yes, absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do you trust God with every part of your life, including your money? Uh, That's a question to wrestle with. We would all say, yes, I can trust God. The second question is, do I? Remember, you know that you trust God because you actually uh, sit on the stool. You actually take action. It's not just a belief in our head. It's an action that we take. And the third question is, can God trust you? Can God trust you? When Jesus walked into Jerusalem that final day, uh, Palm Sunday, the day that we celebrate today, when he walked into Jerusalem, he showed the extent that we can trust God. He knew uh, his life would be ending within a week in one of the most horrific ways that a life could end. But he showed us the extent of God's love for us as he walked those steps into Jerusalem. He showed us the lengths that God has gone to prove that we can trust him. God gave his only son to prove that we can trust him with our lives. If you're here this morning and you've never entered into a deep, passionate relationship with God, then his great desire would be that you would know him that you would love him, that you would come into relationship with him. And I'm going to pray in just a minute. And if you sense God tugging on your heart, God doing something, something stirring inside of you, I'm going to give you some space to pray and to come into a relationship with God because it's the greatest gift that he can give to you. It's the greatest gift that the church can help you experience to know and be known by the creator of the world who loves you so much that he gave his only son to die for you. We're not after your money. God's not after your money. God's after your heart. And so if you're here today and you've never come into a relationship with him, what I want you to hear is God wants to know you, to be known by you, to engage deeply with you. And if you're here today and you would say that you've entered into a relationship with Christ, that you are a Christian, that you know God deeply, passionately, intimately, then I have a question for you. Are you trusting God with your finances? Are you living life God's way or are you living life your way? Are you doing what he has 
commanded you to do. Remember that Malachi scripture, that's not me. I didn't make that up. I'm reading what God said to his people. And are you experiencing the blessings that he's promised? If you aren't giving back to God, uh, what's keeping you from that? What's keeping you from trusting him today fully? Uh, I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to go home. I want you to talk to your friends and your spouse and figure out what is it that's keeping you from trusting God fully because he's promised that he will pour out blessings on you as you trust him with your tithe, as you trust him with your money. He will meet you in very powerful ways. You can trust him. You can trust him. Uh, let's pray. And like I said, we're going to pray. And if you've never come into a relationship with God, there's going to be a space in there where I'm going to pray something and you can just repeat after me uh, and enter into that type of intimate relationship that he wants for you. So let's pray. God, would you be uh, speaking to us even now in this moment? into the unique areas of our lives and our hearts because we all come in at different places on this journey. So God, for those of us who are here and we're trying to figure out uh, if we can really trust you uh, with our money. We know you, we're in a relationship with you, but we don't know if we can really trust you. Would you speak into that, a resounding yes, and would you give us the courage to step out in faith and to trust you? And if we're here today, God, and we don't know if we can even trust you with the first steps of this relationship, by, by coming into a, an intimate relationship with you, uh, God, would you reveal to us that we can trust you fully? And Jesus, that when you walked into Jerusalem, when you gave yourself up, uh, when you died on the cross, when God raised you from the dead, that you showed the fullness of your love for us, and we can trust you and come to experience you. As we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you want to come into that type of relationship with God, uh, I'm going to pray something, and you can just pray after me. It's a simple prayer. Uh, just inviting God to lead you in this journey. So pray something like this. God, I want to know you. I want to be known by you. God, I believe that Jesus showed uh, the lengths that you would go to know me and to come into a relationship with me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and that you raised him from the dead so that I could... Uh, experience full life with you. And today I invite you to guide me on this journey of life. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.